God is good, amen. God is good, amen. I believe the saying is true, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, things that we don't often put in front of us, we tend to forget about. I forget a whole lot. Uh, I forget where my keys are, where my wallet is, where I part, uh, where I'm at half the time. Uh, but we do forget things, and, and that's why we gather here on the first day of the week, to remember, to remember what God has done for us and through us, uh, to remember that we are not alone in this, uh, to remember uh, his great love for us. Uh, but also other things can tend to be out of sight and out of mind, uh, such as that as, as those who we have loved who fought for our country. And that's why tomorrow our nation takes time to put that back in our sight so it's in our mind and in our hearts so that we will remember those who fought for our country so that we can gather here on the first day of the week and praise God. Uh, so I just want to challenge you to remember that tomorrow. As you're barbecuing, as you're hanging out with family and friends, as you're uh, starting your summer fun, take a moment just to remember those who, uh, who were loved ones of someone who made it possible for us to have freedom. Uh, I want to I wanna go ahead and dive in uh, somewhat seriousness, which is not my style, especially if you're in my youth group. You know that's not my style. So let's pretend we all had a really good laugh uh, and we're real comfortable right now, uh, especially me. I want to be real comfortable right now. But... Uh, I want to talk to you just briefly, real quick, about our vision. Over the last few years, couple years, we've been working on, on this and with this. Uh, we, we have this document here that we look at, and it, and it tells us that we want to be a people who connect with God, a people uh, of unity of believers, a people who wants to go into the dark world and shed light and restore all things. That's been our vision. Uh, I will tell you that over the last couple of years, I, I felt a, a perception by different people about what this vision is or is not. And one of the things that I've, I've thought of is that when, when we were getting ready to reveal this vision, that I kind of felt like people thought there was going to be a big curtain up here one Sunday. And that we would pull back that curtain and it would reveal all these big exciting programs, all these events, all these activities this long to-do list of things we were going to accomplish that was just going to take us to a, a whole new world. I think some people looked at that curtain, metaphorically, and were anxious and were afraid of what was behind there and weren't too sure when we pulled it back what was going to happen to this church. I think some people didn't understand why we even had a curtain to begin with. And I think some people didn't care. But regardless of what category you find yourself in today, I just want to share with you my perception of what the vision is and is about. When I was in high school, uh, I played on a ball team of some really talented guys. Uh, I hung out with them. I didn't play as much as they did. But we had this saying. It was four letters, C-W-A-R, and we would yell, C-War, and it was posted in our gym, and we would slap it as we walked out of the door, 
into, onto the court. And we would say it before we broke from our, our practices. And we would remind each other, sea war. And those four letters stood for four words. Commit to working hard, academics, and respect. And those four words gave us a thought, an idea, a filter, if you would. A filter in how we would behave in the classroom. A filter on how we would act on the court. A filter of when you saw us in public, how we would treat others. And so we would be mindful of sea war, and it would be our filter on how we did things. See, I think this is, this is like that. This is sea war. This is something to remind us of what we're going to be about. We took God's word in one hand, and we read it as a church, and we dove into it, and we looked at the culture and the ideas and the thoughts and the feelings and, and the makeup of who we have been. And we said, how can we be better? How can we be more of what God is calling us to be? And this, the stuff in here wasn't foreign to us, wasn't dramatically new or different. Restoring all things, we had already been in other parts of the world doing that. We had already been in this community, community trying to accomplish that. Unity of believers. One of the first times that I went to a community uh, meeting here in town, I was sitting there. And there was other people, people I did not know, that were singing praises about this church here, of how you guys were willing to roll up your sleeves and work with others. So unity of believers is already in our DNA. We have already strived to be people who, who look at one another in this room or outside of this room and try to love and show grace and respect to And connecting with God, that's the reason why we're here. And so we took the Bible and we took the makeup of, of who we are and those things and we put it together and said, this is what we want to be and how we want to be better at it. And we created this filter, this filter to help us decide what we would do, how we would do things. And if you read it, it might not look real specific to you because it wasn't meant to. It was meant for us to read it and look at it and say, okay, now we got our filter. Let's roll up our sleeves together and start accomplishing it. Let's roll up our sleeves and start figuring out what the to-dos are. And so I wanted to share that with you this morning. I wanted to begin there because I, as I have been talking with some of the, the leaders among our vision, they want to enter in a season that will help us understand more and more of the people we want to be, the people that connect with God, the people that, that are unified, the people that restore all things. And so today I want to begin an ongoing conversation that we will have over the next several months. Randomly I will pop up here and speak to that conversation. So as we be begin that conversation today, let's dive into Mark chapter 8. Go with me there to Mark chapter 8. I 
And we're going to start in verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. So I'm on this trip a few years ago with some here uh, to Honduras. Uh, Clay was leading a group of Camp Deer Run counselors uh, to, over there and, and, and invited me and Andy to be a part of that. And we get, we get down there and uh, we get to do some really neat and amazing things. But one of the neat, most relaxing and amazing things I got to do was was I got to stay the night at a coffee plantation. And I say that was relaxing uh, as a joke because we didn't get any sleep that night. But before that, while we're sitting up there, we're sitting around this campfire. We sang some songs. We had uh, a thought uh, from Scripture. But we're sitting there, and this, this fire is just real beautiful, and it just makes this pop sound, you know. All of a sudden, I feel something in my eye, my right eye, uh, one of those sparks flew into there, and it's really starting to irritate me. I don't want to open my eye. I want to keep it closed, and it's, and it's in there, and, and uh, Clay looks at it. Andy looks at it. Cameron, who, who worked there at the time, looks at it, and, and finally, we decide to go to extreme measures, and I let Andy put his finger in my eyeball. I thought the w I was going to have to worry about the water when I was down there. did not realize his dirty finger was going to be my worst enemy. But that whole trip, it was still in there. And it, I didn't want to open my eye. I wanted to keep it closed. Finally, it kind of dissolved and came out. And I'm at home, and I start doing the, the eye test every so often. I start covering my left eye to see. And I notice that things are kind of blurry. Well, I decide I need to go to a doctor. I could see with it, but it was not clear. I could see, I could open my eyes, but I could not see clearly. In this passage, this man is healed not just once, but twice. He's healed from being completely blind. He can't see to going to, he can see, but he see, sees men walking as trees. He can't see clearly. And then Jesus Heals him again, and then he can see clearly. And at first glance, you think, is Jesus' power not, not working? Does he need some alone time with God to go get rejuvenated? What's going on with Christ here? But you and I know there's always more than meets the eye, right? See, Jesus, I liked his style because he taught like a youth minister. He didn't just teach straightforward. He taught with metaphors and parables. He took events and activities and, and settings. And he took people and situations to teach. And I believe what's going on here is Jesus is using this blind man and healing him twice to help his disciples see something that they are missing. Verse 
So let's discover that together. In order to do that, we need to back up a little bit. Just still in chapter 8, Jesus, at the beginning of it, he's feeding the 4,000. He's feeding another multitude. He takes seven loaves of bread and a few fish, and he feeds these hungry people who have been following him, who he has been teaching day in and day out, and he, he decides to feed them. And then he gets into this boat with his disciples, and they cross over, and let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 8. They get out of this boat, and the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, and he got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Verse 14, The disciples had for forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about the bread? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts not hardened? Let's stop there for a second. So Jesus deals with these Pharisees. These Pharisees are asking for a sign. He just gave some miracles. They're asking for a sign, something a little bit different, something where Jesus would need to proclaim that he, something is about to take place from heaven and then that would take place and he could basically prove to these Pharisees that he is from heaven himself and so these Pharisees are asking for this sign and Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples they forgot some bread and he's talking with them be careful about the yeast of the Pharisees and they're starting to nudge each other see I told you you forgot the bread it was your fault Andrew why didn't you get the bread I told you you were supposed to have it and Jesus says guys it's not about the bread <laughs> like you can kind of feel this intensity right like you've been there in a moment where you're talking with somebody and you're telling them something and they go off on this tangent and you say, it's not about that. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, it's not about the bread. Forget the bread. Don't you know I can just make more of it? It's about the Pharisees and what's going on with them. I don't want that to become you. So what's going on with the Pharisees? On multiple occasions, Jesus looks at them it says, you are blind. Multiple occasions, he looks at them and calls them blind. And in this passage here, they don't see that he is Jesus, the Messiah from heaven. They don't see it. And he's looking at his disciples. He says, be careful. I don't want that blindness to get in on you. I don't want you to become blind like that. And then we continue. Verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketful of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. Verse 20. And when I broke the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven, he said to them. Do you still not understand? So he has this discussion with them. He talks with them about this blindness. And then the very next thing you see recorded in Mark chapter 8 is they come to a man who is physically blind. 
And Jesus says, here's my lesson. Here's what I want you to see. There are two types of blindness going on. And the events that happen next show us that the disciples might not be dealing with complete blindness. But like this man in Bethsaida, that they may be seen, but they're seeing men walking around as trees. That they may be seen, but they don't see clearly. You with me? Because the next event that happens, Jesus asks them and looks at them and says, who do people say I am? And he says, well, some say uh, you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then he looks at them and says, but who do you say I am? In other words, Jesus asked them point blank, how do you see me? How do you see me? And Peter's response is what? You're the Messiah. But then what happens next? Jesus begins to talk about his death and what's going to take place at the cross. And Peter tries to stop Jesus and say, no, let it never be. <laughs> and Jesus rebukes Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus starts talking with his, his disciples about the cost of following him, that they're to take up his cross and follow him, that there's going to be suffering and hardships. And then they, they later on get into this argument amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And Jesus tries to tell him, look, it's, it's the first that should be last, and the last shall be first. You're, you're thinking wrong. You're not seeing clearly. Let me help you. And then he says, let me wash your feet. And he's there one evening washing their feet. And as he began, he's like, they, they try to stop him. Jesus, may you never wash our feet. He says, unless you, I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter, once again, he jumps in, and he says, hey, then wash all of me. And Jesus, you're not seeing clearly. And then he asks a few of them to go to the garden to pray. And he tells them, look, I need you to be here with me, to pray here with me. And Jesus shuffles over a, a little ways away, and he comes back, and they're asleep. They see Jesus, but they don't see him clearly. And again, it happens, and they fall asleep. And then after all this time of teaching them to turn the other cheek, that violence is not the answer, what happens? The soldiers come in. And they take out their swords, and one of them goes for chopping ears off. They see, but they don't see clearly. And then they flee. And then Jesus is at the cross, and they're denying him. And then Jesus is crucified. And we always give Thomas the label of downing Thomas, but all of them you'll find in scriptures were struggling with if Jesus was raised or not from the dead. They saw him as the Messiah, but they did not see clearly. They were having a hard time. They were seeing men walk around like trees. This blind man teaches me in this moment that there are two types of blindness. One, that, that don't see Jesus at all. That there are those who can't see him one bit but another that there are those who see Jesus, but they see men walking as trees. And if these disciples, if these guys who were the closest to Jesus 
who walked alongside him, who got his teaching directly from him, who got to see these events and these situations take place, and Jesus utilized them to share with them and continuing helping them open their eyes so that they can see clearly. If these guys are having a hard time seeing clearly, could I have a hard time seeing clearly? Could I struggle with that? Could you have a hard time seeing clearly if these disciples whom Jesus walked with had a hard time seeing clearly? Is there something that you have a hard time seeing clear? Ask yourself these questions. Do I see clearly where judgment of others is on my heart? Do I see clearly my brother and sister and look at them with love and grace? Do I see clearly how I am called to treat others with great love and respect? Do I see clearly my self-righteousness? Do I see clearly who my neighbor is? Do I see clearly that I live in the broken world and God wants me to enter it? Do I see clearly that I need the bride of Christ called the church and I need to love it, I need to honor it, and I need to cherish it, and I need to always speak highly of it? Do I see clearly how the way I spend my time, my energy, my resources may distract me from God? Do I see clearly the sin that is getting in the way between my relationship with God and his people? Do I see clearly my apathy or my complacency? Do I see clearly that I have been forgiven and I am loved by God? Do I see clearly that at the end of the day, I'm going to be judged on whether or not I love God and I love others? Do I see clearly what God is asking of me? See, I've heard this phrase often. Perception is reality. Uh, and I, I've, I've wrestled with that phrase because uh, I used to perceive I could dunk the basketball. Five eight and a half wasn't born that way perception reality really one time my wife and I were with some friends down in Dallas and we were by those big beautiful buildings with all the glass work and you could see in them and stuff and we're sitting there one night and we're, we're in line and we look over and there's we're right next to this building I mean I could touch the window or the wall, I don't know what it, what it is, it's just glass, and, and, and I'm looking in there, and I'm like, uh, and they start, they start talking about, I wonder what they're going to do with all that space in there, I'm like, what are you talking about, they're like, there's all this space in there, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do with it, I wonder, it's just all not being used, it's all empty, and I'm looking at the same thing they are, and I'm seeing this desk right here, and I'm seeing this like rolling chair right here, and I'm thinking, there's not that much space in there, and they go on to tell me that there is this, this big open warehouse type place through this glass. And I begin to tell them how wrong they are and how this is a small little space here. And there's no way this. And then I start to think two things. One, I think they've talked it over and they want to just mess with me for a long time. That's one thing. Or two, that they are so wrong that they can't even see that they're wrong. And I need to help them see that they're wrong. My perception, if perception is reality, then the real thing is, is I'm right in that moment because that's what I perceive. But then the lights came on. 
somebody walked into that room and turned on the light switch right in that moment, in that argument, and there was this huge empty warehouse, and I said, I wonder what they're doing with all that space. <laughs> so, we need the lights turned on. We need to be able to see. In the m- times that you think you see the most, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to challenge your heart in on that moment. The moment where you think you've got it figured out, where you think you've got all the answers, I want you to challenge yourself in that moment. To say, God, I may see in this moment, but help me to see clearly. So I go to this eye doctor because I'm, I'm not seeing clearly in my right eye. And he looks it over, and I'm worried if I got an infection. He says, no, you don't have an infection. Uh, you need glasses. And he begins to go through these lenses. And it gets to this one lens, and I was like, oh, wow, I can read that. And he writes a prescription, and he gives it to me. I take it home. I tell my wife, I'm not infected. She was excited. And I say, I've got, I got to get glasses. Apparently, it comes with wisdom. <laughs> so I take that prescription. I set it on my nightstand. It sits there for a little bit. I take that, and it's kind of in the way I put it in my nightstand. And then I take it out one day, and I look at it, and it's two years past due. So I throw it away. And you know, to this day, in this eye, I'm not seeing clearly. But for some reason, I keep walking around like it's okay. And I think that's what we do spiritually, isn't it? We don't see clearly, but we walk around thinking that we do. And so may you enter this season with us, asking God to challenge you in the ways where you think you've got it together, to challenge you in the ways that you think it's just fine, in the moments where you just continue to walk, without clarity, ask God to challenge you there and to help you open your eyes. See, if you think you're better than that, look at David in Psalms 139. He says, Lord, you know me. You know everything about me. You know when I sit, when I rise. Before a word is off my lips, Lord, you know it full well. You hem me in and knit me in my mother's womb. You know all there is to know there is about me. And then at the very end of Psalms 139, what does he ask God to do? Search me. Know me. In other words, continue to discover what I need to change in me, God. So if you're above David, you might want to challenge yourself again. Because your perception is not reality. Nor has mine been. So, our vision. Our vision is like the spit that Jesus used, in my opinion. Jesus used some spit and wiped it on this guy's eye, which is kind of 
comical, but it was a tool to help him see. Our vision is a tool to help us see more clearly that we need to connect with God, that we need to be unified as believers, and that we're called to restore all things. So may you enter this season with us. And if you have any needs, if God has already put on your heart a place where you have seen that you don't see clearly and you need help seeing clearly in that, that's what this time is for. So please come as we stand and as we sing. Your